0: an act of worship to the Lord, you may think, well, are you just saying that because it's true or are you saying that because you want to raise? When I tell you the dangers of being greedy or stingy or hoarding your money, you may think, well, are you really looking out for me or do you want a new leather office chair? And so it can be tricky when we're talking about money to really know what my heart is and the heart of the church is because you know and I know that without the money of this congregation, then we we pack up and go home. We can meet under a tree somewhere, and that's what we'll do. But we're not going to talk about money this morning, but I will say this, and then I'm going to move on. Everything you have, you have either because God's given it to you directly or because he's given it to you indirectly because he's enabled you to earn it. Everything you have, you have either directly or indirectly from the Lord, so therefore everything you have is his, and you need to honor him with it. One of the ways you honor him with your money is you give it. And one of the primary places you give it is your home church. So if this is your home church, then you should give regularly here. If it's not, then you shouldn't. Wherever your home church is, you should give regularly there. How much? That's between you and the Lord. Whatever he tells you to do, that's how much you should give. And if it's 90% of what you have, then you give 90% of what you have. And if it's 5% of what you have, then you give 5% of what you have. That's between you and him. But everything you have is his, and so you need to honor him with what you're doing with it. We're going to move past that. The thing I want us to see this morning um, from this passage is this relationship between sowing and reaping. Again, Paul's making this point about money. What, What was going on is this church, again, this was the Corinthian church and the Christians in Jerusalem, there was a big famine in Jerusalem and people were starving. And so Paul was setting up a collection in different congregations saying send money so these guys can buy food. And so that's what This actually chapter 8 and chapter 9 are both about Paul trying to get the Corinthians to give money to send to Jerusalem because these guys are starving. And so what he's saying is, if you just give these guys a little bit, then you're going to just get back a little bit from the Lord in terms of blessings. If you give these guys a lot, if you're generous, then you're going to get back a lot from the Lord in terms of blessings. And the point there is how you give affects how you receive. If you give generously, then you receive generously. If you give sparingly, then you receive sparingly. God doesn't just look at what you're giving. He looks at how you're giving. Are you being stingy or not? You know, a lot of times when there's some big disaster, really rich people make a big deal about how much money they're giving away. They give a million dollars. I remember, I think it was Sandra Bullock after the tsunami gave away a million dollars for tsunami relief, which is incredible, but she made 30 million that year. That's not that generous. 130th of your income is not really that generous. Maybe she had to cut her vacation short a few weeks. I don't know how that affects her life at all. So it's not just the the amount, it's how you give. Are you being generous or are you being stingy? And what I want us to see this morning is that this truth applies not just to our money but to all of our lives. Every area of your life, every area of your heart if you're stingy in what you give to the Lord, then you're going, he's going to be stingy in terms of what he gives you back. And it's not because he's stingy, it's because you haven't given him anything to work with. If me and Adam both decide we want to plant tomatoes, we, want to have, we love tomatoes and we want tomatoes next summer, and he plants 50 seeds and I plant five, who's going to get more next year? He is. Because he planted 50 tomato plants and I planted five tomato plants, so of course he's going to get more. He planted generously. He, gave, he planted 50. I planted sparingly. I only planted five. It's not God's fault. It's not my tomato plant's fault that I got ten times less than him. It's my fault because I didn't plant as much. And the same thing is true in every area of your life. If, we don't, if we're stingy or sparing with what we give to the Lord out of our own hearts, we just don't give him very much to work with. And so then we can only receive back a little bit. And if we're generous, if we give a lot of what we have of our hearts and our lives, then we give them a lot more to work with and we can receive back a lot more. You get that. That's not that difficult. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to look at three separate passages on reaping and sowing. That idea runs throughout the Bible, this idea of sowing and reaping, which makes sense as an agricultural society. Everybody would have understood about that. And I want us to look at a little background, and then I want to hit three areas where we tend to give sparingly of our hearts to the Lord. The first is Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Chapter 6, verses 7 and 8. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. That idea, you reap what you sow, is probably the most famous biblical principle there is. A lot of times it's not credited to the Bible, but it's in there. You know, what goes around comes around. It's the same deal. Karma, it's the same This idea that you reap what you sow is probably the most well-known biblical principle out there. Again, even though it's not always seen as coming from the Bible. And I think most people kind of intrinsically just say, yeah, that makes sense. It appeals to our sense of justice and fairness. That makes sense that you would reap what you sow or what goes around comes around. Those things kind of make sense. I want to point out two quick things from this passage. The first thing is that the idea that you reap what you sow is based on God's character not on our actions or some law of the universe that's independent of God. Paul says, don't be deceived. God can't be mocked. You reap what you sow. God is a just God and that's just that you reap what you sow. It would be unjust if you didn't. And so this idea of sowing and reaping and you reap what you sow is rooted in God's heart. Again, it's not some kind of impersonal law that governs the universe like karma it's because god is a just god and that's a just principle that you reap what you sow it's rooted in god's heart we're going to come back to that and the second is this statement you see it's true beyond money it's not just a financial deal paul says the one who sows to please his sinful nature from that nature will reap destruction and the one who sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life paul there is talking about all of our life every area of our life you reap what you sow. In your relationships, you reap what you sow. You can see it very clearly in your relationships. Either your parent, child, husband, wife, boss, employer, all of those relationships, you reap what you sow. If you sow distrust, that's what you're going to reap. If you sow graciousness, that's what you're going to reap, for the most part. You reap what you sow in your relationships. It's true in your own heart. Proverbs 11:18 says this, He who sows righteousness reaps a sure reward... And Proverbs 22.8 says, He who sows wickedness reaps trouble. So all I want you to see is that you reap what you sow is rooted in God's heart. It's based on his character. It's not some impersonal law. And it's true in every area of life. This isn't just a financial deal. This is true in every area of life. Hosea 8.7 says this. He's talking about the Israelites. They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. That's obviously a negative verse. They sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. And what I want you to see there is that sowing and reaping, it's not a one-to-one relationship. And again, you know this if you've ever planted anything. If you—if I go back to tomatoes and I plant one tomato plant, I'm going to get more than one tomato. I'm going to get a whole plant full. It's an exponential harvest based on what I planted. I planted one, I get 50, or however many tomatoes come from this one plant. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. The harvest is exponential. It's not... One-to-one. Israel sowed the wind, and they reaped a tornado, which is very intense wind. They were idolaters. They worshipped other gods. That was what they sowed. That was the wind. And they reaped the whirlwind, which was their nation was totally destroyed by the Assyrians, and they have never been heard from since. Completely wiped off the map, the northern ten tribes of Israel. Never to be heard from again. That's the whirlwind. And so, in our lives, we need to realize the same thing. It's not a one-to-one deal. What you reap is exponential to what you sow. So you need to be careful about what you're sowing because it's not just going to come back in kind. It's going to come back multiplied many times over. This is a negative version, but there are several positive versions of this as well. Let me read you this. This is from Luke 6. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Now here it is. Give, and it will be given to you a good measure pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. So that's the flip side. Hosea, that's the negative. You sow the wind, you reap the whirlwind. Luke is the positive side. Whatever you give in the name of the Lord, whether that's money or grace or forgiveness or whatever that is that you give, you will receive back and you can't outgive God. He doesn't just give back what you gave. He gives back, pressed down, shaken together, and running over into your lap. Kind of the picture there is these guys wear, wore these robes, and there would be a big fold in them. And when they would go and get grain, the grain would spill out of their hands into the fold of their robe. And so that's the picture is that you're doing this, and God's just, it's poor, and it's overflowing your hands. Whatever you're giving, you're going to get back multiplied good and bad. Mark ten twenty nine and 30 says this more directly. I tell you the truth, Jesus says, no one who has left home or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or fields for me and the gospel will fail to receive a hundred times as much in this present age, homes, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and fields, and with them persecutions. That's nice that he added that. And in the age to come, eternal life. Sometimes maybe if you watch Preachers on TV, they refer to this as the hundredfold blessing. If you send them $10, God's going to send you back a 1000 type deal. And all that's out there. Um, and this is the passage where they get it from. And I would just say this about that. That is appealing to your greed. And God's not a vending machine. And just because you put $10 in doesn't mean he's going to give you $1,000 back. Because he looks at your heart. And if the reason you're doing it is to get, I wouldn't hold your breath. I wouldn't. He looks at your heart. That's how you give is more important even than what you give. And if the reason you're giving is to get back, he sees that. And he doesn't need your money. And so that's not going to impress him at all. And same thing in terms of everything else. If the reason you're being nice to someone is to get that back, that's your heart's messed up on that. That's an area where you need to work on your heart But it does say there, you will receive back. And all that says is God gives generously. You're not going to outgive him in any area. You say, I can't forgive one more time. Yes, you can. And he can forgive. He'll give that back to you. The grace to do that a hundred more times. There is this hundredfold principle, if your heart's right, that you're not going to outgive the Lord. Whatever you give him, he will give back to you exponentially. Haggai 1. I don't know if any of you have ever read Haggai before. Six through nine. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages, only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. Says the Lord, You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin while each of you is busy with his own house. What you see there is the Israelites planted, they sowed, but they didn't reap. They did what they were supposed to do in terms of these crops. They didn't get anything back. God is sovereign over this idea of reaping and sowing. That's what we said at the beginning. He's not a vending machine where there's this automatic law where if you do, you will receive. He's sovereign over that. And what he was doing here for the Israelites is they were building their own houses and not building the temple, and he wasn't ha- they were neglecting him. And so he neglected them. When it came time to produce these crops, he shut it down. And so what they sowed, they did not reap because God interrupted the process. And he does the same thing for us. There are times where he steps in and he interrupts this process of sowing and reaping. conversion is a great picture of that. Romans 3.23 says the wages of sin is death. We've all sinned. We all deserve judgment and death. But when we repent of our sins and ask the Lord to forgive us, he steps in and interrupts the process and says, well, you should have gotten, you've sowed sin, you should have reaped death. Because you've repented, I'm going to change it, and you're going to receive mercy and life. And he does that, I think, often for us. Every time we repent, we keep coming back to that idea of repentance. Every time we repent of something, I think God interrupts this cycle of sowing and reaping. There could be some consequences that we still have to pay in this world, but eternally, he takes care of all of them. And we've sowed sin, should reap death, and we don't when we repent. He allows us to reap mercy in life. And all I want you to see from that is that God is sovereign over the process. That's one of the um, Hinduism. Karma is a huge tenet in Hinduism. And they're a slave to it. Nobody can stop it. It's a one you know, you did it and you're gonna pay for it. You sowed and you're gonna reap, and you're gonna have to keep reaping until you can live enough lives to get out of this bad karma. Have you ever seen My Name is Earl? That TV show, that's what that whole thing is about. Karma's out to get him, and he's got to scratch off every bad deed that he did. He did 212 or something bad things, and he's got to do 212 nice things to cancel them out. They're a slave to karma. And we're not a slave to this idea of sowing and reaping. God is sovereign over that. And if you repent, if you're doing something wrong, if you sow bad seed and you repent, God can interrupt that process. And you can reap something that you didn't sow. You can reap mercy and grace and forgiveness in life where you should have reaped judgment and death. So there's hope there for all of us. It's not a fatalistic, oh my, you know, I lived 25 years or 30 years or however many years doing these bad things or I've done this bad thing for... The past six months or whatever, and so I'm doomed to six months of a bad harvest, exponential. No. If you repent, God can step in and you can reap mercy instead of judgment. Y'all remember the story of the feeding of the five thousand? There's a Jesus had been teaching and there were they said there were five thousand men. Some people say there were up to twelve thousand people there if you include women and children. He'd been teaching all day, guys were hungry. He asked the disciples, we need to feed these guys. And He said, well, why don't you feed them? We don't have any food. See what you can find. And there's this little boy. He's got five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus says, that'll do. And so this boy gives Jesus the food. Jesus prays, says a blessing, breaks it up and gives it to his disciples and they pass it out. And all 12,000 people eat all that they want and there's 12 basketfuls left over. That is a picture of sowing and reaping in the kingdom of God. This little boy... Sowed, he gave what he had. He gave sacrificially. That was his lunch. He at least was going to get to eat that day. If no one else was going to get to eat, at least he was going to get to eat, and he gave it up. And he gave in faith. Obviously, to me, he trusted the Lord to do something with his food, or he wouldn't have given up his lunch. He must have thought Jesus could do something with it. And same thing for us. We give sacrificially as an act of faith. Jesus takes what we give, no matter how big or small it is, and he multiplies it, and it blesses not just us, but it blesses those we're in relationship with. And Jesus gets all the credit. We don't know the boy's name. But Jesus gets all the credit from this miracle of multiplication. And that's a picture of sowing and reaping. That's the picture that you want in your mind. Whatever you sow, you'll reap exponentially back to you. And if you're sowing good seed, then you can expect a good harvest. And for some of you, you might be thinking, I've been sowing good seed for a long time. And I ain't reaping anything. Be patient. Be patient. It'll come. God's faithful. You can trust him. It might not come when you want. It might not come necessarily in the way you're looking for, but it will. You can trust it. God cannot be mocked. That's true for sowing bad things and sowing good things. God cannot be mocked. He's a God of justice. And if you're sowing in righteousness, then that's what you'll reap. Because he can't be mocked. And if you're sowing in righteousness and you're not reaping that, well, in a sense, that's mocking God. Because what he said is, if you do this, then I'll do this. So hang in there if you feel like you've been sowing good seed and you haven't reaped anything yet. Stay at it because your time is coming. You might have forgotten this. Our original passage was this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. All that background on sowing and reaping, I think is very important. Every, all 6.2 billion people in the world are affected by that truth, It's just like gravity. I don't care if you agree with it or not. I don't care if you believe in it or not. I don't care if you want to submit to it or not. It doesn't matter. It's real and it affects you. and It affects me and it affects everybody on the face of the earth. Jump off a building and we'll see how much your belief in gravity affects whether you smack on the ground or not. Zero. Same thing is true with sowing and reaping. I don't care if you believe in it or not. It's a law of the universe that God has set up. And he's sovereign over that. But that's what we live under. And it doesn't matter, again, whether whether I think it's fair or you think it's fair or I think it's real or you think it's real. Or if I care or you care, none of that matters because he set it up. So every person who's ever lived has lived under this rule of sowing and reaping. And it's important for us to know that it's there because you sow with the harvest in mind. If you want tomatoes in the summer, then what kind of seeds do you plant in the spring? Tomato seeds. You don't plant apple seeds if you want tomatoes. You plant with your harvest in mind. And so, the question for us this morning is what kind of harvest do you want? And then you back up from that and say, well, what kind of seed do I need to be planting if that's the harvest I want? If you want to eat watermelon in the summer, then you better not plant apple seeds because you're not going to get watermelon in the summer unless that's what the seed that you've planted. You know that. And the same thing is true in your life. What do you want? What do you want in one month, in six months, in six years? What do you want? Parents, what do you want for your kids? Are you sowing that into them? Do you want them to grow up and be sarcastic? Then keep on sowing that into them, and we'll see what it's going to happen. What do you want for your own life? What do you want with your spouse? What do you want with your job? What do you want in this community? What are the things that you want to see happen? And it's not some name it, claim it, I can, you know, if I believe it, I can achieve it thing at all. It's a law of the kingdom. If you what you sow, you will reap exponentially. So Plant your seed with your harvest in mind. What do you want to see happen in your own life? Do you want life with a capital L? Then sow those seeds. Do you want to be bitter and angry? Well, then sow those seeds. And even if you don't want to be bitter and angry, but those are the seeds you're sowing, then that's what you're going to get because you reap what you sow unless you repent and ask God to have mercy on you and interrupt the process. And the same is true on the positive. If you're sowing in righteousness, you can bank on... A good reward. I can't remember which proverb it is um, about children. If you raise up a child in the way that he should go, he will not depart from it. It's the same idea of you reap what you sow. You put it in there, it's going to come out of there. And yes, our children have free will, but in general, you reap what you sow. So if that's what you're doing while your children are young, even though they're pig-headed or rebelling against you or whatever it is that they're doing, you're going to reap that. You're going to reap those good things In time. Same is true in every other relationship you have. So you reap what you so I thought of three areas where we tend, in my opinion, to sow sparingly. And so we reap sparingly. Three areas of our life where we don't give God much to work with. And again, it's never that God is stingy with us, it's just that we haven't given him anything to work with. Again, if I only plant one tomato plant, that's all I'm gonna get. And it's not God's fault or the ground's fault or the rain's fault or any of that, it's my fault because that's all I that's all I planted. So I'm not, I can't expect more than one tomato plant worth of tomatoes. One area, holiness. I believe we sow sparingly when it comes to our personal holiness, or to put it negatively, I think we tend to compromise with sin too easily. All three of these to me are areas where, where we tend to give the enemy ground. This is my opinion, and you, know, you can disagree, is everything that we don't intentionally give to the Lord by default becomes seed for the enemy. Everything that I'm not intentionally giving to God saying, I want sowing to the Spirit. God, I want you to do something with this stuff, whatever it is. I think everything I don't intentionally do that with becomes seed for the enemy, and he's going to produce a harvest in my life. Everything I don't intentionally give to the Lord, I default, by default, give to the enemy. And he's going to use it. He's going to use everything I give him. And I think there's some areas of our life where we tend to give him too much too easily. We just give it away. He doesn't have to work for it. Because we sow sparingly to the Lord and we give him the rest of the package. We give God this and we give him this by default. None of us do that on purpose, but we do it by default. So anyway, I think we tend to compromise with sin too easily. I don't necessarily think this is with the big ten, you know, that a lot of us struggle with. But it's what we would maybe consider smaller sins. Um, Either things that we do or things that we don't do. Um... It's just that we have a low standard for holiness in general. And it's hard to have a high standard because of the society that we live in. There are no standards here. You live decent. You're living better than just about everybody. It doesn't take a whole lot to be on a morally higher plane than most of the people you probably live and work with. You don't really have to be Mother Teresa to be better than them morally. And so what we can tend to do is we kind of relativize our behavior. And say, well, I'm doing better than these guys, so I must be doing okay. And what that does, if there are areas of your life, and I'm not going to name any of them because I don't, if there are areas of your life where you feel like you're compromising, the Bible says everything you can't do in faith is a sin for you. Some of you, I just said I wasn't going to name any, but here's an example. Some of you can't drink a beer in faith. You think it's a sin to drink a beer. And it might have been because of how you were raised or whatever. then you don't need to drink a beer. And there are others of you who can. And it's not a big deal. That's not a sin issue if you're over 21. As long as it's legal, that's not, that's not an issue for you to drink a beer. But if you can't do that in faith, then it's a sin. Those are the areas where I'm talking about. These areas where we tend to relativize what God is speaking to us. And what that does is that dulls the voice of the Holy Spirit in our life. So then we do miss it on the big things because we have a practice of ignoring him. We've been ignoring him in these small areas, so then when he tries to say something to us in one of the big areas, we don't. it's not clear because we've been ignoring him for so long. And so what we've done is we've given the enemy ground because we've sowed sparingly when it comes to our own holiness. And you don't have to be a legalist at all. That's a sin as well, to be legalistic. But you know your heart and you know the things you can and cannot do. If there's a movie you can't see in faith, then don't go see the movie, for goodness sakes. Just don't do it. If there's people, anyway, you got that. Areas of your life where you're compromising, and you know you are. I, don't think, I think very few of us kind of sin accidentally over the long term. God doesn't want that for us, and so he's going to let you know. There's, you're going to feel uneasy about it, have a check in your heart, wh- however you want to describe that feeling. You, you know what that feeling is. And if you're doing something and that's the feeling you're getting, then stop doing it. Because that's the Lord saying don't. And it doesn't matter if I'm doing it or not. Because I might, I might not be having that same feeling over these small issues. So holiness. The second is freedom. I believe we so sparingly when it comes to our freedom in Christ, or to put it negatively, I think we choose to hold on to our brokenness too long. We live out of our hearts. We've said that before. Proverbs 4.23 Guard your heart, for it's a wellspring of life. You're going to live out of your heart. So what's in there is going to come out of there. And if you don't like what's in there, you're definitely not going to like it once it's out here because it's going to come out exponentially. Right here, it's one little tomato plant. Out here, it's a bushel full of tomatoes. And that's going to happen, and you can bank on it. At some point in your life, you're not going to be able to keep it in, and it's going to come out. And if you don't like it in here, you're not going to like it out here when we can all see it. But for whatever reason, a lot of times we choose to hold on to our brokenness or our woundedness. We don't give those things to the Lord and ask him to heal us and to make us whole and to fix us, for lack of a better word. What we've done is we've created space for the enemy. It doesn't matter if it doesn't seem fair that something that was done to you can affect you that way, that you have to deal with it, but you do. It's your heart, and you have to take responsibility for your own heart. And if I'm the one that broke it or hurt it or whatever, that's between me and the Lord, but you still have to take responsibility for it because it's your heart. And that's, that's part of it. And so all of us have to take responsibilities for our heart. And if there's stuff in there that we don't like that's in there, then we need to take care of it. And we don't have to take care of it in front of 3,000 people on a stage, but we've got to take care of it because it's going to come out. And that's an area where I think we tend to sow sparingly. We choose to hold on to our brokenness. And I don't think we hold on to it because we love it. I think you can get to a place where you do. You can get to a place where you do love the woundedness in your own heart and it becomes part of who you are. You're a cynic and that's just who you are and you like being a cynic or whatever. But I think a lot of us don't deal with it because it just hurts too much. We don't want to. It's easier just to put it to the side and say, I'm okay, you're okay, let's move on. But if you don't deal with it, it's going to come back. And it's going to come back exponentially. Last, purpose. I believe we sow sparingly when it comes to our purpose for living. Or to put it negatively, we tend to become consumed with the trivialities of life. Our society majors in trivia. That's what we do. Seriously, do you need another update on Britney Spears' parenting skills? Do you? How much coverage does the Super Bowl need? How many people need to comment on that game. We've got... They take a week off so they have more time to rev up for that thing. We major in trivia. It doesn't matter whether she's a good mom or a bad mom to anyone but her kids. And it doesn't matter whether that game is played or not. The World Series was canceled in 1994 and somehow the world continued on. I'm not saying you can't watch sports. I love sports. I'm not saying you can't read People magazine. But how much of your time, your energy, your money, your effort is consumed with things that really don't matter long term? We all need a break. Everybody needs a break. We all need distractions. We all need hobbies. Yes. We need to be able to talk to people about what's going on. All of those things are definitely true. But how much of your time, if you were a pie chart, how much of your pie is spent on trivial things? We live in a society that majors in them. We don't talk about anything important because it makes us nervous. We don't. So wh- what about you? And what about me? And That's an area where I think we give the enemy too much ground. I'm willing to be friends with you and be your superficial friend for how long? Ten years before we have a real conversation? You're not going to be here in ten years. And neither we're, You're going to have moved or I'm going to have moved or we're going to have grown. Up. What's going to happen? I think that's an area where we give too easily. We don't hold on to the things that are really important. Hebrews, I think it's 12, 28, says that everything that can be shaken, this is a paraphrase, everything that can be shaken will be shaken, and only one thing will remain, and it's the unshakable kingdom of God. Everybody that we know and love, and everybody that we don't know, and everybody we don't even like, everything in their lives and in our lives is going to be shaken at some point. It's in there. And anyone who's holding on to anything other than the kingdom is going to fall flat on their face. Because whatever they're holding on to won't stand up to the weight of their life. Some of you have already experienced that. Whatever you're holding on to, it just doesn't hold up to the weight of your life. And if all we're doing is talking about the weather or whatever, if we're majoring in trivialities and we miss those opportunities, and again, I'm not saying you've got to bring your Bible to work and start slapping people around No, but how much of your time and energy, how much of your focus is on the things that matter long term? You have a purpose. You have a destiny. There's a calling on your life. There's a reason you're in Marietta right now. There is, and it's not just to make do until the next thing. There's a reason that you're here. So live like it. Let's find out what the reason is, and let's go for it. Let's pray. God, I thank you that we reap what we sow. And we can, we can look ahead and see, in a sense, we can predict the future. Because the things that we're sowing now will come back to us exponentially in the future. And so I pray for all of us. God, I pray that you would encourage us in the areas where we are sowing good seed, where we're sowing in righteousness. Lord, that our hearts would be encouraged because we know that's going to come back to us pressed down, shaken together, and running over. And God, if there are areas where we're sowing bad seed, I pray that you would convict us of that and that we would repent and that you would interrupt that cycle and that you would have mercy upon us, God. For those of us, if there are any in this room who are in the throes of a wicked harvest, God, I pray that you would um, have mercy upon them today as well. God, that as well as they know how, they would repent. And receive your mercy back into their lives. So Lord, I pray now as we sing that you administer your grace into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Y'all can stand if you want. We're going to spend a little time in ministry. There's some folks in the back if y'all want prayer about anything. Some of you raised your hands earlier if you want prayer about that or this or whatever you got going on.